welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and past messages can be found at our websites for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. And more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God can be found at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, we're looking again, and we're thinking here of God's statement to Abraham. We're imagining Abraham in our minds, and Abraham hears God say, I am thy shield. I am thy shield. And Abraham's thinking to himself, oh, can you imagine that? He himself is my shield. That's something. He didn't say, and Abraham's sitting there thinking, you know, he didn't say he was going to provide for me a lot of shields to protect me, or he's going to send shields to protect me, but he said that he himself would be my shield. Now, Abraham looks at his shield, and he says, you know, this shield that I've been using, it's got a little bit of wear and tear on it, as we talked about, right? And I can already see that, you know, one of these days, I'm going to have to go down to the shield store. (laughs) Abraham's saying, got to go down to the shield store because this thing's going to wear out, (laughs) and it won't be any good anymore. And so maybe Abraham's looking over his shield, and he thinks about that. And then he maybe he's looking over his shield, and he thinks, well, maybe I can fix it up a little bit and repair it. I mean, it's pretty damaged. I mean, look at all these slashes and these stabs and these dagger marks, you know, so it's not as good as it used to be. And, but, you know, maybe I could put a few more layers of that toughened, dried goat skin that we used to eat. But anyway, over those damaged parts, you know. And, and so Abraham comes to the conclusion that, you know, there's only so much repair that you can do on this old shield, and pretty soon I'm going to have to throw it in the pile with the other old shields. Maybe there was a pile, I don't know, and go to the shield store. But that pretty soon part in Abraham, as he thinks about that, really impresses upon Abraham how this is a temporal shield, and it's going to wear out. And Abraham has just heard God say that he is his shield, and Abraham thinks, you know, God said to me that she is my shield, and since God is eternal... That means that God is going to be my eternal shield. You know, Abraham knew that God was eternal, and so he thinks the eternal God is my shield. That means that I have an eternal shield. So Abraham, he was afraid. He says he's afraid. So he says, one thing I always worry about, not just today, but I worry about tomorrow. But since God is eternal, that means he's going to protect me for all my tomorrows. That means God's going to protect me in this life, and God's going to protect me in the next life also. Are there any dangers in heaven? Are there any dangers in heaven with God? Well, you could ask Lucifer that question. He got in a lot of trouble when he was in heaven, is with God. He fell into the greatest danger. He succumbed to pride, and he became Satan. And Satan, so Satan was in, Lucifer before he became Satan, was in great danger in that life, in the next life. And so what will protect us in heaven with God when we're with God? What's going to protect us from danger? The fact that God has promised to be our eternal shield. You know, turn, if you would, to an important verse in John 14, John 14, 16. It's an important verse, John 14, 16, because of the last phrase. It's all important, but especially the last phrase is important because it says this. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. 
that he may abide with you forever. That's an important phrase, that he may abide with you forever. And, you know, we think, well, I sure am glad I have the Holy Spirit down here on earth because I need him down here. There's a lot of dangers down here on earth. I mean, I really need the Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me, and keep me out of trouble. But when I get to heaven, I don't think I'm going to need him anymore in heaven because everything is safe up there. Yes, sir, when I get to heaven, I'm going to buy a brand new pair of shoes and walk around. And I won't need the Holy Spirit anymore. So when I get to heaven, I'll be able to say to the Holy Spirit, thanks, thanks, Holy Spirit, for keeping me down here on earth. I won't be needing you anymore up here. So farewell, good friend, right? But that's not true. That's not true. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and keep us out of trouble now. And we'll need him throughout eternity to lead us and guide us and keep it out of trouble. And if God doesn't know that, if my wife dies first, she's going to tell him. She's going to say to him, you know, look, I know how much trouble he can get in. Don't take the Holy Spirit away from him. Or you'll have a lot of trouble in heaven. So when Abraham hears God say, I am thy shield, Abraham is hearing God say, I am thy, I, the eternal God, am thy eternal shield. And so Abraham thinks, for all my life and throughout all eternity, God is and will be my eternal shield to protect me from whatever dangers come whenever. That brings a whole new light to Ephesians 4.30 where it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God because, you know, we're not going to say goodbye to him when we get to heaven. So we're gonna, he's going to be with us for eternity. So we should be on good relationship. Now, then he says in verse 1, so now again, that shield has been pretty important to Abraham as he's thought of how hard he gripped that shield in the battle. You know, the, it was an implement of his warfare. He's got a sword, he's got a stagger, I don't know what he's got. He's got a shield, and they all become, for the warrior, very important. You don't want to lose grip. You don't want to let them slip out of your hand. As a matter of fact, there's a great, great picture of that in 2 Samuel 23, 9 through 10. It's of a man named Eliezer. And you can always remember this man, Eliezer's name. I'll show you why. It says, and after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. <laughs> Eliezer, the son of Dodo, what could he do? You know, but he was no Dodo. And the Ahai, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto his sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and people returned after him only to the spoil. So here we have Eliezer. And so what happens to him? He's so gripping that sword, which is so important to him, that after a while, he's like one with the sword. They got to pry his hand off when the day's over from gripping the sword because he's just, he's relied so much on that sword. That's a great picture for us. Because Eliezer being one with his sword, where they had to pry his hand off at the end of the day, we understand that when God says, I am thy shield, Abraham's thinking to myself, boy, I put a lot of grip on that shield during the war. There was was no way I was going to let that shield go. And I was kind of like one with that shield. And God says, I am your shield. So I'm like one with God as my shield. And Abraham thinks to himself, boy, I got it. I can see how close I was to my shield in the battle just as Eliezer was, (laughs) couldn't get his hand pried off. And then Abraham said, you know, I never would have appreciated God as my shield. Well, let me just put it this way. He could say, I never really appreciated the shield so much as when I was in battle. Now I really appreciate this shield. This shield's not the same to me after the battle. Same way with God. He says, you know, I never really appreciated God as my shield if there had been no battle. 
And that's the same with us. We get really close to the Lord Jesus Christ when we go into battle and find him as our shield. We find that we never have appreciated him if there had been no battle. There's a special appreciation that comes. You know, when the battle comes, when the fight comes, like this last week for me, we say, oh, no, you know, what are we going to do? You know, the first instinct is, to, you know, how do I avoid this? You know, how do I run away? How do I, you know, let's not have a conflict. But that's not so with God. God is up to the fight, provided it's his battle. He's up to the fight because of what it says about him in Exodus 15.3. The Lord is a man of war, but he's, it's the right fight. God says, I'm up for the fight. God says, I'm a man of war. The Lord is his name. And during that fight, God knows how close, like a warrior gets close to a shield, how close we're going to get to God. God. You know, we look at the battle and we say, oh, this is terrible. God says, this is great. All right. Now, he says, I am thy shield. So Abraham thought of God, and he thinks of God, and he's thinking to himself, boy, he said, I am thy shield. And he thinks that, you know, what God did not say. God did not say, I'm going to protect you by making your army strong. And I'm going to protect you by making other people afraid of you. And I've got, I mean, Abraham could have thought, you know, God has a lot of options to protect me. You know, like God walking through his arsenal. And he's looking at his arsenal, and he's, he's passing angels. He passes, you know, look, there's Michael. He, I rely a lot on him, you know, the archangel. And there's Gabriel. And so Abraham, Abraham thinks, you know, what God did not say, God did not say, you know what, I've assigned my trusted, most trusted angel, Michael, the archangel, and he's going to be your shield. God didn't say that. Or Gabriel's going to be your shield, the great heralder. But instead, he's not satisfied with any of those options, and instead he says, no, 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 there's only one option. There's only one option for me to see Abraham protected, and I myself will be Abraham's shield. I myself am going to do it. And so God, in essence, is saying to Abraham, of all the options that I have available to me to protect you, Abraham, I myself am going to be your shield. And that's exactly in line with what God said in Hebrews 6.13. And when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself by saying to Abraham, I am thy shield. God was again, he was in the by no greater mode is it by no greater. So as it comes to protection, this is the spirit, in the spirit of this Hebrews 6.13, and this by no greater mode, when it's applied, so we could say, for when God protected Abraham, because he could protect him by no greater, he protected him by himself, when he said, I am thy shield. And in the same way, when God went out to say to Abraham, I am thy exceeding great reward, we can again, just like with the shield, God's walking through his storehouse and every good thing is there and he could, that he could give to Abraham. And, he, and it's great. It says, you know, in Deuteronomy 10, 14, the heaven and the heavens of heavens is the Lord thy God, the earth also and all that is therein. In Psalm 50, verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine, God says, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. And so we can see God and he's looking over his inventory list of everything that he's got. And he sees all these items on there, heaven, heaven of heavens, earth, every beast, etc. And he considers, he says, boy, I can, how can I make Abraham really happy? And he says, I could give him the largest cattle herd on earth, like the King Ranch. <laughs> no, I need something greater to make Abraham happier. And so he said, I, you know, I could give him a big, vast land. I could give him Texas, all the time. No, I need something greater to make Abraham happy. So he said, I need something to make Abraham perfectly content. 
And so God says, I know. He says, I'll say to Abraham, I myself am thy exceeding great reward. And again, he's in this mode of buy no greater from Hebrews 6.13. So it comes to making Abraham happy and content. It's in the spirit. It's applied here so we can say, for when God wanted to make Abraham happy and content, because he could give Abraham no greater, God made himself Abraham's reward. So everything, God says, it's yours, Abraham. And when God did this, he had in mind Hebrews 13.5 which says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you've had. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, the story is told about a Roman, a rich Roman man, and his son was very, very rebellious. So he decided, this Roman man decided to leave all of his riches and everything to his one servant, whose name was Marcellus. And so he calls his son in, and his son, he says, now, son, he says, I've decided to leave everything to my faithful servant, Marcellus. He says, but before I die, I'll give you just one wish, just one thing you can ask me, and what is that? And the son thinks for a while, and he says, I want Marcellus. (laughs) Because when he had Marcellus, he had everything. When we have the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything. It's very important that as we see how important this sequence was that happened here, because this verse starts off with after these things, and those things were very, very important. That was the things where the king of Sodom had offered Abraham the rewards of what had belonged to the king of Sodom, and Abraham refused those rewards. And then after that, this is the sequence, after that, God came along and offers to Abraham a much greater reward of himself as Abraham's real reward. So you can't help but wonder as you read that if God was watching very carefully for what Abraham would say when the king of Sodom came to Abraham and offered Abraham what used to belong to him. You can't help but wonder if God was saying, let's just see what Abraham's going to do. And I hope he refuses the rewards of the king of Sodom because if Abraham does refuse those rewards, I can't wait to step in and give him a far greater reward of saying that I myself are your exceeding great reward. And I can't do it, maybe God was saying, I can't do it until Abraham first gives up what he really shouldn't take. And he can't help but wonder, as we think about that, if God is not saying the same thing about us. We're faced with a temptation, like Abraham was. Just compromise a little. Oh, it's all right. You can use it. Just take it. Let the, it'll go past and you'll forget about it. Just take it. And God is watching and he's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Just like saying to Abraham, don't do it. Don't do it because I've got something so much greater for you if you just refuse it. You don't compromise. Don't take it. Because one thing true about God is that no one ever loses. No one ever loses for giving up something in order to honor God. As the Lord Jesus Christ said, he said, no man, in Mark 10, 29 through 30, no man has left houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this life houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But with all that we've seen about God's statements of I am thy shield and I exceeding great reward, we can't lose sight of the fact 
of that one all-important word that God said before he said that, and that's the word Abram. He said, Abram. God said, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. By saying Abraham's name before he made this promise, God was emphasizing that who he was speaking to, he was speaking to Abraham as an individual, and God is dealing with man on a personal, individual basis. And when we look at the big church congregation, and it's so easy to think, God deals with people en masse. God deals with people as part of a big church. Who am I uh, in such a great big church congregation? And especially watching television, you see the, the camera pan out over the audience of the TV evangelist, and you see the thousands, and, and it's, it's pretty easy to think, well, who am I? I'm just the one that helps make up the thousands or the ten thousands. And when the pastors say, you know, we're running 350 every Sunday, or, well, we're running 2,000 every Sunday, or we're running 5,000 every Sunday. What does the individual believer think? Well, I guess I just help make the church run a thousand or every Sunday, or I'm just one out of 10,000. And with all that emphasis on running more and more at the church, it's easy to think, well, if the Lord said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, then if there's 200 or 300 gathered together, that must mean he's a hundred times more in the midst of them, of a group like that. Or if I go to a church where there's 2,000 or 3,000 gathered together, that must mean that he's a thousand times more in the midst of that group. All that emphasis on the running more in a church, the image comes of God like he's standing at the door with a clicker, you know? And he's like, how many are coming in today? Oh, great, he hit 8,000 today on this Sunday. I'll be a, a, a hundred times more than in the midst of this pitiful little Mission Valley Community Chapel with its 80 people. <laughs> that make you feel good? With all this emphasis on numbers, it's real easy to see that God is more interested in how big the group is rather than in the individual. That's why it's so important to see that God called Abram by his name. And he gives this great promise to him because that's how God works. God calls out individuals and he watches for the response of individuals. That's why the word him is so important when the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 10, 30-33, he says, the very hairs of your head are numbered, individually numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you're more valued than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him, he says, will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. See, that's why the word any man is so important in uh, Revelation 3.20, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. God never calls people en masse. He always calls and speaks to people in the way that he said about Israel in Isaiah 27.12, And ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. Now, it was a very, very difficult time as we've seen here for Abraham. And as we saw in verse 1, these things had just piled up on Abraham and just made him afraid. And that's why God said to Abraham, fear not. And sometimes we get ourselves just too wrapped up, too engaged, too disturbed in the world. I mean, that happened to me this week. I just got just a little too ensnared, a little too engaged in some problems at work. And when that happens to us, we just feel a little too Hebrew, okay? One of the definitions of Hebrew is dusty feet. 
we just feel like there's just too much dust on our feet, too much of the earth's dust on our feet, sticking to our feet. I mean, and for Abraham, all the slaughter of the kings and nearly losing his life and then having to speak with such a despicable character as the king of Sodom just left poor Abraham just a little too Hebrew, just a little too much dust on his feet. And Abraham was just afraid. And so what's the remedy for what happens to us? What was the remedy that God used for Abraham when he was just a little too engaged in the problems of earth? God's remedy for Abraham was to have his eyes turned to the eternal. I am thy, I, the eternal God, am thy eternal shield. I, the eternal God, am thy eternal exceeding great reward. And he needed just to turn his focus on all the implications of what it meant, as we've been trying to look at a little bit today, of what God meant when he said, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He needed to turn his focus away from the temporal, away from the earthly rewards on earth, to the eternal, to the heavenly reward of God himself being his eternal great reward, exceeding great reward. He needed to think of what it meant for not the rewards, but the rewarder to be his great reward. And in the process, that therapy worked on Abraham. God's therapy and some of that Hebrew dust just fell off of Abraham's feet. And that's what happened to me. I, I tell you that I love preparing for this class because when I do, I just leave scantibodies. <laughs> I just leave El Cajon. I leave that place. And I'm in Canaan with Abraham and the adventures in the life of Abraham and God. And that causes the Hebrew dust to fall off of my feet. And that's God's therapy for us, to get the dust of the earth off our feet, to diminish. God wants to diminish the things of the earth that disturb us. Because when we see the Lord Jesus Christ as everything, then we get restored. You know, it was a time in life of A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance movement, and when he had a particularly dry time in his life, it was very dry in his soul, and he needed an answer for his dryness. His enthusiasm was gone. The scriptures seemed dry to him. What was once a delight had sunken down to duty and drudgery. And so what he decided to do was to travel from New York, where he was, to Chicago to listen to D.L. Moody. And he got to what's now called the Moody Church in Chicago in time for the Sunday morning message by D.L. Moody was going to preach. And so he opens up his briefcase, he gets out his notebook, he gets out his Bible, and he's asking God, give me an answer through this message. But before the message, Moody's song leader, Iris Sankey, gets up and he introduces the first hymn, and Iris Sankey says these words, Jesus is everything, and everything is in Jesus. And when A.B. Simpson heard that, he said to himself, I got my answer. <laughs> he said, and that's my answer. Jesus is everything, and everything's in Jesus. And he shut his Bible, and he closed his briefcase, and he left. He never heard Moody preach that morning because the phrase was what he was looking for. And from that point in his life, A.B. Simpson used to say, Jesus is everything, and everything is Jesus. And then he added, and go tell the world as fast as you can. He never forgot that last part, because that was the thrust of the Christian Missionary Alliance movement. Go tell the world as fast as you can. So when it, God tells Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward, that was the message for Abraham that with Jehovah Jesus as his protection and provisions, Abraham can say with A.B. Simpson and with Sankey, Jesus is everything and everything is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Help us, Lord, to orient ourselves around Jesus is everything and everything is in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor.org. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.